listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Today, we have a book club wrap-up episode, and you may notice that we're down one person, and that is because today is our first day recording without our beloved Brie Grzewski. We just threw a, like, smashing (laughs) farewell party, though, so if you haven't listened to our farewell party episode, you should totally do that. You might laugh and also cry and everything in between. So we're moving forward without Brie. We're all very sad about it. Deep, deep grief. Mm. Deep grief. It's Deep true. Wailing. Deeply wailing. Deeply wailing. <laughs> yes. We have an exciting book club episode happening today, though, because this has been a long time coming. We announced this book like six months ago or something. It was a very long time ago. And we're finally here. So, mm-hmm. Rachel, what are we doing today? We are doing one of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors. This has been a long time in coming. We have C.S. Lewis, That Hideous Strength. This is book three in the Space Trilogy, which he wrote in the early 1940s as his, I don't know, his version somewhere in between H.G. Wells and Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, that sort of thing. It's it's dystopia before dystopia was like a thing, Mm. but also such beautiful fantasy and sci-fi and everything. That Hideous Strength Book three follows the story of the thoroughly modern couple, Jane and Mark Studdock. They are, Mark is is a college professor, similar to C.S. Lewis. Jane is a wife who would like to finish her doctorate at some point, maybe if she can never get back into it. (laughs) They are waiting to have kids and actually very unhappy in their marriage, though neither one of them will say that out loud. And if this sounds like it's going to turn into some sort of like drama, romantic, sitcom, something like that, (laughs) buckle up and hold on to your hats, friends, because no, that is not it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, drama, there's some drama. There is drama. Um, But sitcom, no. 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 It's not even like soap opera. Uh (laughs) Yeah. It is unexpected. (laughs) Yes. Because spiritual warfare is coming to this small university town in a big way. Jane turns out is some kind of like seer. Mark gets swept up into this science based organization that isn't actually, doesn't actually have science at its heart. We've got Dr. Ransom, who is from the first two books, Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandrus, shows up as the delightful director of Mm -hmm. this motley group of people who grow cabbages in the country and (laughs) wait for the Lord. I don't understand it altogether, (laughs) but I do know that it's a fun ride and the good side wins in the end. And I always need stories like that in my life. Mm. Oh yeah. And Merlin shows up of all people. What? What was that? What was (laughs) I was Mer- Merlin comes back from the dead, and oh, surprise, he's a Christian. Woohoo! Yeah, that part, I, I chuckled. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of reasons why this is, but deep down, all you have to know is C.S. Lewis liked Merlin, and he's like, it's my story. I can do what I want with it. <laughs> okay, yeah. so when that shows up originally, they're like, yeah, the Bracton College has this beautiful old wood, and oh, by the way, Merlin is buried there. And at the beginning of the book, I was like, oh, cool, that's a fun fact to know about Merlin. And then he actually shows up at the end. <laughs> I just had to laugh because mm-hmm. it was strange. Cool, yes. I guess, but strange. <laughs> strange and wonderful. One of the things I love about Lewis is he's so self-indulgent in his writing. If he likes something, he'll often find a way to fit it into a book, whether it actually mm-hmm. organically would normally fit or not. Mm-hmm. Think about Father Christmas showing up in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or Bacchus showing up out of the blue in Prince Caspian. I mean, it's it's kind of strange, but it's always delightful when that mm-hmm. happens because it comes from this place of deep delight in his imagination, hmm. and it shouldn't work, but it usually does. And so Merlin, I think, is that element in this story and i love it i suppose if i consider it as like a crossover event then it makes more sense <laughs> sure. <laughs> extended universe yes. special guest appearance <laughs> <laughs> <Cameo by Merlin. laughs> 
<laughs> so Merlin aside, what did you guys think of this book? Was it your first time reading it? Tell me, tell me your impressions. This is my fourth or fifth time. I can't quite remember, but it was it was fun again. Yeah, I have I read it twice for book club because I I was already in the process of reading the space trilogy when we announced this was how we were going to be handling it. And so I read it, but it was early. And so then when book club was almost here, I was like, Ooh, I got a refresher. <laughs> I need a refresher. So I, I read it the first time in the late winter, I think it was. And so then last week, basically, I reread it. And I will say that I liked it more the second time mm. because I connected more of the more of what was going on because there was a lot there were a lot of things happening at the beginning that didn't necessarily all make sense and I just sort of went with it but on the second time through then I understood more of what those things the significance of those things the whole yes there's a sacred well in the woods and that actually had significance when the college was debating do we do we sell this or not so i did like it more the second time i would be curious therefore so in my ranking of the space trilogy i liked out of the silent planet the most but i've only read that the one time and then i would i would now give that hideous strength second place and then perilandra was it was fine but it's i thought it was kind of boring <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that hideous strength it was i don't know what i think about c.s lewis when he's not <laughs> in narnia i just don't know what i think about him i'll be quite honest because i you you will remember that i was not a huge fan of till we have faces oh, yeah. i will remember that previous yes. book club selection by cs lewis and once again i'm like maybe i don't like him when he's writing for adults hmm. or at least i don't like him as much hmm. i did like i said i did really enjoy out of the si silent planet so that was that was good and i do like that hideous strength more than Till We Have Faces, that one still remains on the bottom of the list. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. This one, there was there was a lot to it, and, sorry, I'm, so, I'm sort of processing aloud as we're talking here. There, there were parts of it that were very uncomfortable. Mm. And, well, uncomfortable mm. and, and, and or disturbing. And yeah. I didn't didn't quite expect those. So there was that element, which always then gives me pause as I consider how do I actually feel about the whole book. Well written in that it was highly effective in making me disturbed. <laughs> so I'm question I'm I'm curious about what when you talk about in uncomfortable, uh -huh. what do you mean? Because I realized in this recent reread, partly because I was evaluating it as whether whether or not it would make a good audiobook to share with the yeah. family. Mm -hmm. There were some parts at the end that were a little more graphic than I remembered. Yeah. I read this book first as a in my late teens, and it uh -huh. didn't even phase me at the time. Yeah. But then when you're yeah. looking at sharing something with smaller children, right. you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, right. this read out loud in slow motion, and heaven <laughs> forbid they make a movie of it, this is not exactly G-rated here. No. Right. So anyone right. out there who read this and was disturbed in that way, my apologies. Although I've got to say, even so, that particular content in showing the end of evil mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. comes right. when people reject God and embrace evil, I don't think that that goes further than, say, the Bible does mm -hmm. in its depictions. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. That, that is a qualifier. So uh, were yeah. you talking that kind of uncomfortable and disturbing or something more philosophical? So that part would be more the not not so much philosophical, more of more of that. So mm. like the ending, although that part did feel more of a that was more straightforward and 
was dealing out justice, if you will. <laughs> much justice no, I, was dealt. Yes, yes much, much <laughs> justice was was dealt. But the the tor- the torture scene, uh, while not super explicit, was plenty explicit enough for my brain to paint the picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I yeah. So that was also disturbing and i don't know that if kids would necessarily paint the full picture that my adult brain is able to do Mm -hmm. but there was that as well philosophically there was a lot to think about but disturbing not not necessarily but who knows as we talk maybe i'll find i'm more disturbed than i realize (laughs) all right i look forward to that (laughs) sarah what did you think Uh, So this was my first time through the Space Trilogy. I was super stoked that I finally had a reason to actually sit down and read it. I've been meaning to read it for ages. And so I finally got to. So I was very happy about that. I devoured all three books very early on. So I should have read it a second time a few weeks ago. But I was in the middle of a different novel and then ran out of time. So I've been reading through lots of summaries because I kind of forgot all the details that happened. And as we talk, I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened, too. And I blocked it from my memory because it was super graphic. (laughs) Great. So I think, I don't know, the whole Space Trilogy, I really enjoyed. It was 0% what I expected. I don't know what I exactly expected. I knew it was sci-fi, but I also know other stuff from C.S. Lewis. And I started into this and I was like five minutes into the audiobook, and I was texting my friend like, I have, what is even happening? I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> and he's like, it's okay. Stick with it. You'll get it. I'm like, okay. I trust you. I would probably say that That Hideous Strength is my third favorite. I'm tied between Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra as my favorite, only because Paralandra was super slow to get into. I I had to tough that one out for a while. But when all the action started in that one, I love the middle and the end of Paralandra and the symbolism that happens at the end of that one. So like the end of that, I think, is my favorite part of the whole series. Mm. But as a whole, I think Out of the Silent Planet as a whole book, I think I like that one the best. There's just a ton of action. I mean, it it pulls you in right away. Mm. Also, in all three books, there is a lot of talking. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know how many times I was yelling at my audiobook, like, why are you talking so much? (laughs) 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 Just so many words and I don't know what's happening because you're just talking to each other. (laughs) So I I had a really hard time following what was happening at the beginning of that hideous strength. Mm. So I think if I went back and read it again, I would, I might like it more the second time now knowing what actually happens. But I was texting you guys too at the beginning of that hideous strength. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. (laughs) It did get better though. And once I kind of sorted out who all the, because there's so many people. So in, in the first two books, there's like, three maybe four mm, main that's characters true. that's it mm, so there's true there's not a lot of people to follow yeah. and i have a hard time with books that have a lot of characters i can't i can never remember who they are and what they're mm-hmm. doing i have the same problem with lord of the rings i can't remember all the people and what they do so i got i mean there's like 15 people at the beginning of that hideous strength in like the first chapter and it was rough but i do dystopian stuff is not totally my cup of tea which is part of it but the storyline was very interesting. Honestly, at parts of it, I I wasn't totally sure that good was going to win. Mm. It was, there were, I mean, I kind of figured it would because it's C.S. Lewis. But in parts of it, I was like, how is this, how is this going to work out? Because I was, I couldn't see how he was going to manage to make everything work. And then Merlin shows up and I was just very confused. I wasn't sure where Ransom was going to show up either. I figured he was going to as a, kind of like the the theme, the thread through all three of the books. So it was kind of fun when he showed up and then things started making a lot more sense. I think I was more psychologically, I don't know about disturbed, but there were a lot more instances because maybe it's dystopian-ish. There were things that were happening in the book that my brain was like, oh, this feels far too familiar as some evil that we experience still in the world. And it may not be exactly the same, but it makes me feel kind of weird inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there was the graphic parts. I was not expecting to be that graphic. I think probably the gra- the graphic parts are more more noticeable in audiobook. Oh, mm. yes. I was not expecting them to happen. And mm, I don't like graphic stuff to begin with. Yeah, I, I well, watch and graphic movies. That's Ooh. one reason why I prefer 
book books, paper books mm-hmm. over audiobooks is that my reading pace speeds up and slows down based on whether I want to savor or uh-huh. skim. And you really can't do that with audiobooks as well. So I, I get that. Yeah, I was I, shrieking a bit during those parts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I should have told you, but I forgot myself until I was in it. <laughs> So like I'm listening on like my earbuds too, so it's like in my head. <laughs> okay, so anyone who hasn't read the book yet, you have been warned. I'm sorry. It's just like the last part of the book, though. And I guess you could say the same thing about the Book of Lamentations or Genesis or you know, yeah. if you're not expecting it, it can be right. Be a little more intense than maybe you were thinking it would be. It is interesting that you both have sort of commented on the reading experience in a way that sort of reinforces something I've noticed about C.S. Lewis as a writer. He is a wonderful writer. He is a great storyteller. He is a an insightful cultural critic and theologian and philosopher and all that. He's not necessarily the world's greatest novelist. Mm. Mm-hmm. That he just sometimes seems to struggle with how you put all the pieces together to make a full-length, coherent novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a lot to say and a lot of stories to tell, but that something in the in the technique is kind of sometimes a little weak. And I'll acknowledge that full hmm. out. He didn't write that many novels, and the ones that he had sometimes don't mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. feel as satisfying as they could. So we started reading Lord of the Rings, and now that I know what I know about. Lewis and Tolkien being like their writing being really closely related. It was very interesting that the Lord of the Rings movie, you don't notice it as much, but reading the book, there is also a ton of talking in that book too. There's like an hour long chapter that is a conversation between two people. So I kind of understand that more now after reading C.S. Lewis and then reading, actually reading Tolkien. Things make a lot more sense. And there's a Eldil character. That is a very similar name in Lord of the Rings and Space Trilogy. So I don't know if that's just coincidence that they both kind of managed to pick a similar name for a godlike creature or if one of them Lewis stole the other one. was a bit of a <laughs> fanboy of Tolkien's. Yeah, he definitely, like <laughs> you definitely see some homages to Tolkien, <laughs> Tolkien's work, some of which weren't actually published yet, but that Lewis had, uh, you know, was an early reader for and he just mm-hmm. loved it. Huh. And so yeah. he he references and puts in a few nods to his friend's imaginative world. Yeah. Just really cool. You can see it. It's cool. Yeah. So, all right. The book was a little disturbing in places, a little slow in other places, a lot of talking. And yet the reason we picked this book was because we thought we could do a lot of talking about it. Mm. There's a lot to chew on here. Mm-hmm. And so as we usually do, I will throw it to each of you and ask you, was there a question that we discussed in our online book club this week to which over 50 women came and so many people participated and threw out some crazy insightful comments along the way? But were there any questions in that discussion that you guys would especially like to go into a little bit more in depth here? Yeah, so I thought that I would discuss... The, the woman question, <laughs> um, which everyone thought was going to be one that they they really wanted to talk about in more depth. And so, OK, let me look at it and figure out how to summarize because you ha- it, this was a very long. <laughs> By the way, question. if you want a fun deep dive down a rabbit trail online, Google the woman question. <laughs> oh, dear. It refers to a 300-year <laughs> debate between the 1400s and 1700s oh, on wow. the nature of women. What? <laughs> yes. Wow. So when I, I use it. that term in, in asking the question, there is a bit of a, a baggage with it. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well done. There was literally <laughs> a woman question. Yeah. Okay. So here's how I'll summarize the question. I'm going to give sort of the second half of what you have here. Looking then at all the female characters individually and together, though perhaps also at Jane especially, what does Lewis seem to want to say about women in this book? You think he's right? How well do his portrayals and pronouncements jive with scripture and your own real life experience? What about marriage? Is it a biblical portrayal? 
any practical or philosophical problems that you have with it? How did this whole thing sit with you? So I had mixed feelings about it. I felt like the fairy hardcastle character in particular was too big of a stereotype or hyperbole, just too exaggerated to be fully believable as a woman of that time interacting in the way that she did in this group of essentially all everyone else was men except for fairy hardcastle and she liked to smoke a cigar but not re- anyway i found her to be too exaggerated mm-hmm. yeah. but part of that i think might have been just it didn't age as well and so Today, looking at it, felt like it was too exaggerated, and maybe that wouldn't have been the case in previous times. Maybe in previous times, it would have felt like, yes, that's a solid contrast that we're going for. I don't know. But that was my thought on her. On the other hand, the characters of Jane and Mother Dimble and, is it Grace Denniston? Grace Ironwood and Camilla Denniston. There it is, Camilla Denniston. I thoroughly enjoyed those portrayals of women and found them to be very believable in how they interacted with each other, with the men that they encountered. So I did enjoy those portrayals, especially, I especially enjoyed their portrayals of how they interacted with each other. I think one person commented on, and I remember I noted it as well in Oh, well, I had written down quotes that I particularly liked, but they were on my phone and I was like, I don't need my phone for this recording (laughs) session. That's just going to have me texting and no, I'll leave that behind. And now that's why I would have brought my phone. Oh, well, it's okay. So I particularly loved the scene near the end when the women are in the wardrobe, oh. C.S. Lewis does also love himself a wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> and they were picking out dresses for each other. And I believe it was Mother Dimble said something like, oh, isn't that just like a man? There's no mirror anywhere for us. Yes. And then <laughs> Jane was like, I think the director said we are mirror enough for each other. It was something it was something along those lines of what of what that quote mm-hmm. was. And I loved that of like that is, I think, a beautiful portrayal of I don't know what it's what it's like to be in close friendship and relationship with other people that you see yourself more most beautifully reflected in how other people are engaging with you and describing mm-hmm. you. I loved that. Mm-hmm. And like they couldn't look at themselves and see, but they could tell from their, you know, their, the friends' reactions that they were utterly beautiful in what had been selected for them. So I thought that was a, a lovely interaction. And again, it also felt very believable as far as how women do interact. I feel like that's almost more truthful too, that like how mm. other people see us can be a more truthful representation of who we are than what we think we yeah. look like in a mirror. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the character of Mother Dimble and her sort of yeah. mentoring relationship mm-hmm. with the younger women around mm-hmm. her and how she's sort of teaching them how to be married, the, the mm. finer practical points yeah. Yeah. of marriage. Here's a quote that did show up in some form in our online discussion where she says, this is Ivy Mags, who's another of the younger women who is relating to Jane, a conversation that she's had with Mother Dimble. And she says, I remember one day, it was before you came, Mother Dimble was saying something to the doctor, and there he was sitting reading something, you know, the way he does with his fingers under some of the pages and a pencil in his hand, not the way you or I would read. He's a college professor, of course. And he just said, yes, dear. And we both of us knew he hadn't been listening. And I said, there you are, Mother Dimble, said I. That's how they treat us once they're married. They don't even listen to what we say, I said. And do you know what she said? Ivy Mags, said she. Did it ever come into your mind to ask whether anyone could listen to all we say? (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought that was such a, a, not that, I mean, yes, you could say it's play, uncomfortably playing into the stereotype that women like to talk, 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 but here we are talking. (laughs) 
and how, you know, it is that the men don't respect us or listen to what we have to say. And yet what they're what Mother Dimple is very gently pointing out with a little bit of snark is that there can be an imbalance in the conversational needs Mm. of husbands and wives where she needs a lot of conversation and he only needs a little bit. But if he's able to listen with half an ear so that she can keep on you know, getting it all out that she needs to say, processing out loud as we were doing here a little bit ago, (laughs) that this is an act of mutual understanding and compassion in a marriage relationship, as long as you can keep from getting your feelings hurt while it's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was those sorts of comments that at first I was like, is he saying that women talk too much and men don't and can't listen to them? But yeah, but maybe. Anyway. Lots of moments like that in the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was just one little snapshot of Mother Dimble and Professor Dimble and how they interact. But there were others where you could see that there was a true loving relationship. So it was a a nicely portrayed Mm -hmm. relationship of marriage when, when Professor Dimble was getting ready to go off to one of the big conflicts and they were sort of talking with each other and it was very nicely done. Now, here's the <laughs> here's the other one though. I I just don't know that I buy how what C.S. Lewis was trying to imply with Jane and Mark in his ending, wrapping it up, happy ending. We really didn't see them interact. I mean, their interactions with each other were minimal in the book. Almost all of the book was spent apart. Clearly, they had an unhealthy relationship. Yes, that was clearly portrayed. Clearly, they both also each had a lot of their own unhealthiness that they brought to that unhealthy Not a Christian Um, marriage. (laughs) No. No. And yet, I felt like he was implying that okay, I've fixed each of them separately, so therefore they're good to go. Mm. And I don't think that's how, like, I don't think that's how it works. Yes, okay, we're, <laughs> we're on a better, right, we're on a better foot forward, but they had such an unhealthy marriage. I don't think just fixing each of them individually is going to, they, now they're good to go and they've got nothing else to worry about, which I felt like that's what he implied, but... Mm. He didn't spend hardly any time on it, so it's probably a small quibble. Nevertheless, it it did stick with me and rub me the wrong way. The yeah. End, the end <laughs> also, yeah, I feel what you're saying because when I read it, it just kind of like ended. And I was like, wait, what? Huh? Like, how are are they actually okay? Like, you don't really get a whole lot of... The story of ends before and- they actually are reunited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of questions their relationship is a fairly significant part of the book and how mm-hmm. they're relating to each other and the fact that they like are not getting along. Like that's a whole, that's a, a big factor in what happens to the two of them separately. That he views her as a trophy wife and she mm-hmm. views him as a nuisance and somebody to be kept as far away from her inner self as possible. Yeah. That doesn't just get fixed. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it starts to, he realizes through his adventures, that he desires her as a woman and as an individual in a way that transcends any sort of like worldly practicalities, which mm-hmm. is a big leap for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. learns, and I'm going to say this word, oh, don't throw up. She learns to submit. There it is. <laughs> yep. First to the director, mm-hmm. yep. Dr. Ransom, and then to Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And only finally, last but not least, to this utter dork that is her husband. <laughs> yeah. And to realize that the thing she has to do to make their marriage work is to let him in. The, all the talk early on, and I, I did not mention this in our, in our book club discussion, but I kept thinking about it. Mark just wants to be inside the inner ring at the mm-hmm. heart of the fellowship. And Jane keeps pushing him out. And so he goes everywhere he goes. Mark just wants to be in the in crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but Jane just wants to be free. She doesn't want to be, what does she call it? Drawn in 
She doesn't want to give up her own individuality, her mm-hmm. own, mm-hmm. you know, scholarly career, all the rest of that. And yet she keeps pushing Mark away. And so I think the beautiful vision at the end and what does. Oh, oh, it's just coming to me. What is the last line in the book, you guys? She opened her arms. Exactly like Mark. Obviously, it was high time she went in. Mm. So they are each entering into fellowship Mm -hmm. with one another. Mm -hmm. Spiritual fellowship, because they both are little baby Christians at this point. (laughs) But also, as we did when we covered Dr. Kleinig's Theology of the Body book, this is also a physical fellowship as well. Mm-hmm. That has not been, you know, th- that their marriage has never really truly been consummated mm-hmm. in the old sense of the word. And so, anyway, it's a really interesting ending, but you're right. There, it is unsatisfying. Like so many good stories about marriage were ultimately left on the outside. Mm. True. Because yeah, true. it's private. You got to draw the curtains at some point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I asked the question the way I did because so much that is in this book about women and about marriage is so unfashionable today. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wanted to know, wanted people to know that it's okay to acknowledge that. That when you talk about submission or childbearing, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, this line in, in the book where the director says to Jane, you know, basically, his final blessing to her is have no more dreams, have children instead. Mm. And the first time I read this as a young woman, my visceral reaction was, no, <laughs> she's basically a superhero who can see the future. Why would you take that away from her and just make her have babies instead? So that was, yeah, <laughs> that was my, that was my young woman's response to that. But you know, now with 20 years more under my belt, like, okay, you know what's also a superhero superhero power? Bringing new souls into the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's actually cooler. Mm. Just because it's more common doesn't mean it isn't an amazing, amazing gift. Yep. So. Absolutely. All right, Sarah, do you have a question yeah. for us? On a total shift of gears, well, let's talk about terrible things. So question four on the dystopian theme, like other dystopian sci-fi of the era, George Orwell's 1984, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. This book feels in many ways, maybe even prophetic. What broad cultural trends did Lewis notice and write into his still eerily relevant novel that you still see bearing fruit even today? So like, I know that there were a lot in there. I can't remember a lot of them, but people in the group remembered a lot of them. So what do you got? There were so many good comments about this. The one that I added to all of the rest of them was the need of belonging to a group outweighing qualms about morality. Mm. I think that is just an ongoing trait of humanity that we want to be part of the popular whole so much that we will ignore the wrong that maybe is being done by that popular core of people just because mm-hmm. we want to be included. There's that one. Expediency over virtue. <laughs> That's a big theme yeah. that happens. I mean, look at the NICE and everything that they're doing and they want to basically like what rule over humanity and all of that horrible stuff for those who have not read the book we should explain that the bad guys <laughs> are part of this organization called the NICE the National Institute for Coordinated Experiments basically think about any national scientific institute you can think and this is that but taken to a very evil extreme that is but a really the, snarky name by the nice by- is great yeah mm-hmm. i squealed a little when when I was like, oh, the bad guys are named N-I-C-E? Okay, Lewis. <laughs> Very nice. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Medicine, biological, and social science is intermingling with politics. I mean, that's been a thing for ages. Yeah, but how often did we hear that during the pandemic? We're following the science. You always had the uh-huh. scientists standing up next mm-hmm. to the president to instill confidence that science had it all under control. And how many people, you know, on the internet who probably failed their own science classes will come up and say, well, science says this, you know, 
Lewis always drove this distinction between the pure sciences, which he thought would always bring you just to divine truths, mm. and science for its own sake. And yeah. I definitely still see that happening. Oh, yeah. And the how so often science and faith are pitted against each other when they don't mm -hmm. necessarily need to be or should mm -hmm. be. But mm -hmm. culture likes to follow the way of science is always good, right, and true. And we're like, well, yes, but only because God made it that way. So... One of my favorite characters, minor characters in the book, is William Hingist. He is the mm. he's a chemist from Brockton who explores going over to the to the NICE. He is described as basically the best scientist in the whole book. <laughs> and he goes over there, best actual science scientist, the guy who's actually done proper science. He goes over there, decides this isn't science, mm. decides to leave, and they send people to assassinate him on his road home. Like this is the mm -hmm. the yeah. the fake scientists have no patience or tolerance for real science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now with like all of the AI stuff that's really come about mm -hmm. in the the recent scientific discoveries, like it's I mean this this is an ongoing thing forever and ever of what new technology are we gonna try to replace God mm -hmm. with? So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. well, let's see. Oh, pursuing. The woman question again, pursuing a career instead of <laughs> instead of having children seemed like a remarkably modern as opposed to 1940s social norms. But I think you and I both commented on that, that that's also probably been around a lot longer than before Lewis. It has, especially when you think about what was taking place among the upper classes. If you watch some of those old 1930s and 40s Hollywood movies, you'll see that scenario there. And in the intelligentsia, of course. Lots of that. And so what starts with the cool kids trickles down to broader society mm -hmm. pretty early on. Yeah. Media having sway over public. Media. <laughs> yeah, media. The whole propaganda thing, that was one of the philosophical things that made me super uncomfortable because, I mean, this is obviously this has been going on. Propaganda is like super old, right? It's been going on forever. But our recent foray into all the fake news stuff and what social media has mm -hmm. done for people believing or not believing what you see online and you know a whole generation probably of people who see stuff online and are like I don't believe that until I can actually verify it with my own two eyes like I don't believe a lot of stuff I see online unless mm -hmm. I actually can read multiple like it's really hard to know what's true yeah. on the internet these days mm -hmm. but like that mm -hmm. that isn't new now it wasn't new in the 40s either yeah. So mm -hmm. in, in the book, Mark gets to the NICE and is like, all right, when can I start doing proper sociology stuff? <laughs> and they're like, actually, we want you to write newspaper articles for newspapers on both sides of the political divide and to use your credibility and your excellent writing skills to, you know, put forward the agenda of the NICE. And they're like, you can start by writing about this riot in, in Edgestow, where Bracton College is. And he goes, what riot? The one that's happening tomorrow. Here are the details. <laughs> yeah. We're going to orchestrate it. We just need to get on top of the news cycle. And mm -hmm. that sort of stuff, you're like, part of me wants to say, was Lewis a conspiracy theory nut? Mm. But you realize he was kind of in the thick of a lot of these kinds of conversations right in the middle of Oxford and mm -hmm. later Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Like, so maybe well, it is, it is eerie. Too, like German yeah. propaganda was a very real thing at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, and propaganda was on all I mean, sides. It well, was. Absolutely. All's fair yeah. and love This is true. <laughs> yeah. With that part, it did really give me pause because I am so accustomed at this point to constantly looking for the bias on the source for, for media and so forth and so, sort of constantly divining for that so that I can then categorize and consider how does this then balance off of the other side's angle and the idea that there was there would be a underlying unified group working both oh. sides I was like whoa wait I, I don't I don't think that's the case and yet it does give you pause yeah it really does and uncomfortable. yeah yeah it, it makes you realize that no matter what news you're reading from what source you always have to ask the question 
am I being manipulated right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is not a comfortable question to have to ask. Mm-hmm. Nope. All right. One more. Okay. Gnosticism. (laughs) (laughs) Save the best one for last. There's this whole thing about the body being bad and the spirit being good. But then there's this head that they reanimate, quote unquote, reanimated. Like that was a weird Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, oh, not mm, weird. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) But I did end up also looking up, which somebody then later also asked about it and came across the origin of the title being oh. from the that old poem. And that then really made me think about the whole book as an allegory for the Tower of Babel, which I hadn't thought of, even though like even though they have the section in there where it's essentially the curse of Babel. Mm. But the whole idea of science reaching and striving and striving and then eventually God putting the boundary and saying the no that you won't be going that far. Uh, yeah. But even today we see people just really interested in this transhumanism mm-hmm. question, yeah. this right. idea that if I just upload my consciousness yeah. to the cloud, then I can live forever. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely happening in that hideous strength. Yeah. Where they are trying to separate mind from body and make the mind eternal, yep. even after the body is dead. And turns out demons are at the heart of that. Yeah. yeah. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> but even today, we still have people who are hoping, hoping yeah. somehow yeah. to gain eternity, eternal life, and not have to deal with God. Yeah. yeah. To reach up to heaven without... Yeah. Without God. And yeah, just that whole idea of even not like that sort of thing also like being essentially Mm -hmm. another type of fable. Yeah. Yeah. We were just watching a news story on artificial intelligence last night and they showed this computing room and they were like, this contains all of human knowledge as is contained on the internet. And my brain was just like, is this our babble? <laughs> this seems very dangerous, guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> like at some point, God's going to be like, nah, don't think so, guys. Sorry. <laughs> that's enough. Line in the sand. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know that. Mm, anyway, that's a different discussion. But yeah, the, the parallels between all of this, all of this stuff about knowledge being like the highest thing to attain. Well, it just, and- at its heart, as, as we discussed a little bit in the, in the last question in the book club, this is a book about what spiritual warfare looks like Mm. and to that end the boring bits are essential Mm -hmm. all that talking is what it actually looks like a lot of the time yeah you know in this book we got to see it sort of played out to where what started as a boring you know board meeting turned out that deep underneath that was a whole bunch of demon worship happening Mm -hmm. or what started out as tending cabbages at saint anne's turned out to be faithfully standing guard in the citadel of god Mm -hmm. and yet we rarely get to see get a glimpse of the real true spiritual realities of the choices we make Mm. this book sort of pulls back the curtain and says that yes when you choose to take that new job or just hint at somebody is some cool kid that you want to be part of their inner circle or when you choose to leave a note for your for your husband or just go without saying anything, those little choices add up mm-hmm. and they can have great spiritual significance in the grand scheme of things. I think one of the frustrating things for the good guys in this story is that they don't do anything. Mm. The director's <laughs> group <in> his army. <laughs> <laughs> Ransom's army, they go out to St. Anne's and they wait for orders. Yep. And one of the characters, McPhee, who's the atheist, Mm. skeptic character, is always like, this is stupid. I've got a gun. Let's go take these bad guys down. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Dr. Ransom is always saying, no, that's not the way it works. We are foot soldiers in the Lord's army. We don't act without orders. Yeah. And then in the end, the orders turn out, oh, look, Merlin's going to do it all. You guys just sit here and wait. <laughs> sit tight. 
<laughs> Merlin and the uh-huh. angels are going to take care of this. Uh-huh. And it's the perfect answer. But if you're looking to be the hero of the story, it's not very satisfying. Nope. Yeah. And so I think as we think about our own spiritual warfare, oftentimes we are called to watch and pray, mm-hmm. which is what they do. And maybe we'll be asked to do something big and hard and mm-hmm. glorious. And maybe someone else will be asked to do that. And we will get to stay home and keep the home fires burning in the meantime. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Be strong and take heart and wait. Wait for the for Lord. Wait. The wait. But be faithful yeah. no matter what. Yeah. yeah in the little things as well as the big things. Discouraged. You know, Peter mm-hmm. Peter said in the gospel, I'm willing to die for you. Here's my sword. <laughs> and Jesus said, watch and pray. And Peter fell asleep. Mm-hmm. He was willing to fight and die, but he wasn't willing to stay awake. Oh, Peter. <laughs> and so I think we need to remember to be faithful in the little things, the little decisions, and remember that they all have an eternal consequence. Mm-hmm. That, that for me, is the key takeaway from this book. Yep. Well, thanks for going with me on this one. I've had a lot of fun with C.S. Lewis. And in fact, I was very, you know this, because from earlier discussions, I really wanted just to make this entire year the year of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Because my favorite C.S. Lewis book we have not even not even gotten to yet, but I think we're going to actually save that Ooh. for future. If you want to know what my favorite C.S. Lewis book and is and get a jump on it for you know, a year or two out when we finally get back around to this. <laughs> it is and always will be the screw tape letters, which you can yeah. read about two hours. Mm. And we will do that one at some point. I read that one at least once or twice a year to my great benefit and delight. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, while I was pondering how much C.S. Lewis we could cram into 2023 and how much our loyal book club readers would actually go for... <laughs> Our friends at CPH announced and have now released a book that I think we're going to need to look at together. Yes. I I don't always jump on books right when they come out. I usually like to preview them ahead of time. This one I have not read yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm so excited about this and so are my kids. Oh. And I think our next book club is going to fall in October, which means it's a great time to be talking some Reformation theology. Oh, yes. So would you guys indulge me? Could our next book club book be Flames (gasps) Extra Nose? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I am am such a fan. (laughs) (laughs) We listen listen to his, his albums, especially his Lutheran albums. Pretty constantly, including yesterday on our road trip. Mm. Oh, yeah, we were on a very long road trip and listened to a, a, I think one or two albums just straight through. So yes, Flame. He is a Grammy-nominated rapper, Christian rapper. Went from Calvinism through Lutheranism and has become a real apologist for Lutheran theology. And in this book, I think we're going to get to hear his story. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because I want to read that. Okay, it's very good. Oh, have you look, have you read it already? Let's do it. So I got to oh, read. I got to read a review copy, and I have that little praise for extra notes. I have a little blurb in there. Uh-oh. You're a blurber. I'm a blurber. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I got to read it several months ago, and it's it is very good. So this just dropped as time of recording for us. This dropped like three days ago. So this mm. is hot off the presses. Hot. He also recorded an audiobook that has like sound effects. It's like a mix of audiobook and radio what? theater. I don't know when that's dropping. It might, hopefully, that'll drop before we record our next episode because I want to listen to that. It's going to be amazing mm. and I cannot okay. wait for it. So there will be an audiobook at some point. I don't know when, but yeah, his book is, it is hot off the presses. Everybody is interviewing him, but we're going to get him in October, hopefully. We got to yeah. ask him if he'll be awesome. on with us. <laughs> Yes. So we've got a we, you've got a couple of months. If you want to wait and see if that audiobook drops before a book club discussion, I don't know when it's coming. no problem. As we've heard today, there are sometimes some risks in reading the book too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'll be getting a copy of this as soon as I can to share with my own kids and look forward to reading it with all of you. And discussing some of that good, rich Lutheran theology in very contemporary context as we look through 
Extra Nose. What's the subtitle? Extra Nose. Discovering Grace Outside Myself. And that's what Extra Nose actually means. It's Latin for outside of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that is where we look for our assurance of salvation, not to ourselves and our own works, but to the cross, okay. something that is outside of us. And I see that it's a slim 200 pages. Yeah, it's a fairly, so, it's a fairly quick read. Yeah. I'm going to guess large font-ish. Yeah. Breathing room in the pages. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know how these books are usually put together. Yeah. <laughs> It will be a pleasant read. There's a there's a nice section of his story. You get to know him, his journey, which is very interesting. Some little stories from his life. And he digs into Lutheran theology and a lot of refutation of Calvinism, which is very interesting. I learned several things. I thought I knew stuff about Calvinism, but apparently I don't because hmm. I learned some stuff in here that I did not realize before. So it's, it is very interesting. You're going to love it. Fantastic. Okay. So Flame, we'll be reaching out to you for an interview. (laughs) I'm sure Flame is a regular follower of our podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Flame. (laughs) Which means we're going to have a dude in the lounge. It's a rare occurrence. You know what, though? This is a new season of our life as podcasters. We're going to be over the, the weeks and months to come trying out some cool new ideas and making sure that even with just three of us in the room, that the vibrancy and the vitality and the creativity is still there. So if that means welcoming a Grammy-nominated Christian rapper (laughs) into the lounge, I am so happy to do that. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Even if he can't come, we're still going to discuss this book, though. That is true. Let's not set ourselves up too too high. (laughs) We don't want to... The book club is still going to be great. It is. Discussions. Oh, yeah, I have yeah. so enjoyed this with you guys. Uh, reading books with friends is like my favorite thing. It is. It is. Okay, so our next book club will be sometime October-ish. We will post it in our Facebook group as we always do. Rachel will post an event there. It happens asynchronously, which means she will post questions. We can all comment on those questions. Comment on other people's answers too. That makes it more fun. <laughs> If you're not in our Facebook group already, join us there on Facebook. We are also on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge, and we do post the book club questions on Instagram. So if you're not in the Facebook group and don't want to be on Facebook, that's totally fine. You can participate in book club on our Instagram page. Those questions are posted after the book club episode drops, so you get it a week later. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter by sending us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org, or you can find out how to do that in these show notes for this episode. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash lounge, or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give. In the meantime, while I was thinking, how much C.S. Lewis can we cram into 2020, 2023? How many 20s are in 2023?